Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. It is time for another show, and we've got one heck of a really cool one to talk about today. This is, believe it or not, one of my this is one of my favorite subjects to talk about, simply because there's so many different things that we can do uh, to prepare for something like this. And Lord knows, we have all felt vulnerable in 2020, and a wide variety of ways. So today we're gonna we're gonna visit with my friend Dave Acosta and uh, talk about active shooters and civil unrest and what companies can do to actually help prepare their companies um, for. Un- Hopefully that never happens, but you know, it's it's you're better off being prepared for something and and plan ahead for it than completely cut off guard. And that's a lot of what we're gonna talk about today. But we're gonna teach you quite a bit that you have probably have never heard before so it's 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 gonna be a it's a real riveting interview um, we did it several months ago and um just you know programming got changed with what was going on with the coronavirus and now that now that everything is uh starting to settle down somewhat so i just thought it was a perfect time to bring it back into the mix so and i apologize for all the banging in the background i am puppy sitting this week so that is the sound of a cow femur literally flying across the wood floor. <laughs> so anyway, uh, if you guys are f- uh, first-time listeners, welcome. Uh, this, you're going to in in store for a heck of a show. And uh, if you guys are coming, <laughs> coming back time and time again, uh, thank you so much for being here, really. I mean, aside from the puppy noises in the background, uh, I really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. Uh, joining in the conversation and getting into it with me. So thank you so very much because this show would not be possible without you guys. So I'm here to help share with you the what and the how in human resources because I'm in the human business and that means that there's a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and manage. But most importantly today we're going to be talking about poster updates. Got some new information for you. I know we're, we're watching this because it's the second week of the new midterm changes that are that we typically see out. So I'm hanging on top of poster updates for you guys. We've got employment law changes across the nation. I'm going to share with you later in the show where you can get access to these. Also, today's main topic, again, what they don't teach you about active shooters and civil unrest with David Costa. Um, we've got some upcoming events that I'm going to share with you, and then also how you can get my best practices delivered directly to your inbox. But before we go on, folks, I want you guys to know that the information that is available through this podcast is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should contact your attorney uh, to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue. And if you do not have one, go ahead and reach out to me and I will be happy to refer one to you through our affiliates program and our friends over at Jackson Lewis. 
Okay, so poster updates. Good news, there are none. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And um, I would suspect that if we're going to see poster updates because of what's been going on with the country and the coronavirus, what will happen likely is that um, we're going to see them coming down a little bit later, mainly because a lot of general assemblies and state legislative uh, agents and lawmakers have been unable to meet and to actually iron these things out. But I'm going to continue to give you monthly updates, and we'll see them coming down that way. But I strongly advise that you guys also remain on the lookout for those mid-year uh, poster changes. You know, again, some of those uh, delays are expected to be uh, in place. All right, so employment law changes. Uh, I have uploaded these all to the website, so you can go to the bestpractices.work website, click on the podcast link, and you can read all of these call-outs that I've got uh, on the show here today. Um, there's a lot more that I'm going to share that I get on a regular basis, and I'll share you where you can get your hands on those as well. So first off, the Department of Labor has provided some guidance on the FFCRA leaving, uh, leave relating to summer camp and program closures. Um, also, certain states are starting to act laws limiting COVID-19 liability. So you definitely want to check that out. Also, there's been some retail industry workplace uh, legal updates for the summer. And there's some new ransomware tactics and strains that are emerging, including public auctions of stolen data. So it's actually a very compelling article to read. And then uh, lastly, for the federal level, the U.S. There's some information about the USCIS has actually put uh, workers on furlough. And what does exactly does that mean for you in the workplace? Over in California, new California workplace safety standards for nighttime agricultural workers have been released. Over in Colorado, the state has passed a law requiring employers to provide three types of paid sick leave. And there's also some benefits that are under uh, over in D.C. under the D.C.'s uh, paid family leave law that began effective July 1st. So if you're in D.C. And, and you're not knowledgeable of this, make sure that you you get on it really, really quickly. Um, Georgia has also now a new hate crimes legislation in place, as well as a COVID-19 liability shield that has passed through the Georgia legislation. Um, over in Illinois, there are some changes to the Chicago Paid Sick Leave Ordinance that also took a play, it took effect July 1st. Over, there's a lot going on in the country. North Carolina um, actually has opted out of many of the taxpayer payer favorable provisions of the CARES Act. Over in Philadelphia, they have enacted the COVID whistleblower legislation that is now in place. Over in Rhode Island, not a place we hear a lot from, uh, but the Rhode Island Supreme Court has upheld the dismissal of a driver who's refused reasonable grounds for a drug test. Over in South Carolina, they have enacted the Lactation Support Act. Tennessee, they have now launched the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. Over in Virginia, uh, it begins an enforcement of new workers' compensation laws that took place earlier this year. That now begins on July 1st. And then over, lastly, in Seattle, they have enacted the gig workers premium pay ordinance during the COVID-19 crisis. So that is what we've got going on across the nation. There are approximately 2,500 members of the U.S. Special Operations community who transition out of active duty military service 
every single year. The Honor Foundation has dedicated its mission to serving these elite individuals on their journey to prepare for life once they take off the uniform. In the past few years, we've begun our own journey to reach this number, launching three physical campuses in San Diego, California, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and near Wilmington, North Carolina, along with a virtual campus to reach members of the community anywhere on the planet. I spent 26 years in the Special Operations community as a SEAL. I graduated from THS program, I served on the board of directors, and now I'm proud to lead this organization into the future to continue assisting these transitioning service members and their families. Our dedicated team, our world-class program, and our incredible tribes of supporters are standing by to help THF alumni and future fellows, and are committed to providing the best possible support system and resources to better serve this community. Our vision for the Honor Foundation is clear, to impact every transitioning service member from the U.S. Special Operations Enterprise through our programs and support and to be a catalyst for overhauling the entire DOD transition program. It's a big task, but the community deserves it, and we're driving full steam ahead to make this a reality. If you've been inspired with what the Honor Foundation's done in the last five years, I welcome you all to join us as we craft the next chapter in defining what it means to serve others with honor for life. Today's episode, we have Dave Acosta on, who is a fellow speaker with me over at the Eagle Rise Speakers Bureau. And on this episode, he joins me for a very much anticipated interview. And to be honest with you, it's really timely as it pertains to concerns HR professionals have about engaging in active shooter training, the things that they just don't teach you in the average typical class. Now, Dave is a national authority on active shooters. He and I are starting to work together on how do we educate people, how do we de-escalate the, the stress and the concern about doing a training like this, and really our goal is to bring up the level of confidence with companies in making that happen. And it's one of those topics that's on everybody's mind. It's on HR professionals' minds. It's on leaders' minds. It is the least favorite thing anybody wants to think about. But it is also one of the best deterrents a business can put into place to prevent an actor-shooter situation from really building and becoming and turning into a reality. Now, we're working together to help de-escalate that fear, like I said earlier, and build the confidence in providing active shooter training to your employees. Because at the end of the day, your employees, if you don't provide them anything, they may not voice it, but they do feel like they've got no other alternative if they are ever faced with something like that. And that's, that's just the complete opposite of where your employees should actually be. So like I said, we're working together um, I'm going to share with you how you can learn and, and do a little bit more and join Dave and I actually for an upcoming free informational webinar that's going to be taking place on Tuesday, August 4th at 1 p.m. You'll be able to ask your questions and see how you can positively impact your company and give your employees that peace of mind really during a scary time. So at the end of the episode, I'm going to share with you how you can join us for that webinar that's coming up on the 4th of August. So hang on and we'll get that information to you after the interview in the next segment. Okay, folks, I am super excited, like I am every time I bring somebody on board, to have a co-speaker that I get a chance to work with, uh, hopefully at some point in time, um, with the speaker bureau that we belong to, Dave Acosta. 
Um, Dave is an awesome guy, <clears throat> and we're going to talk about the one thing that few people really want to talk about in business. And I haven't let on yet as to what that is, not because I'm trying to be sneaky or hiding or anything, but it's one of those important conversations, and uh, I can't wait till we get into it. So welcome. Thank you so much for jumping on. Hey, I really appreciate it. It's an honor to, to be on this podcast with you, and I'm looking forward to uh, sharing some information back and forth. Absolutely. So let me get, let me kind of set this up for everybody here. So Dave is actually the founder of Fight Back Nation, and what he does is he trains teachers and company employees to actually survive and protect others doing an active shooter event. And I will let you explain the rest of who you are and what you do. How's that? Yeah, yeah, that's great. So just a little bit of a background. You know, I started my career in law enforcement um, in the early 90s in Las Vegas, and um, I did about 10 years there. Most of my time was with the North Las Vegas SWAT team, and then I moved on to King County Sheriff's Office in Seattle. Um, and I really enjoyed my time there. There was some incredible leadership there at that department. I learned a lot, uh, even though I was only there a couple of years. And, uh, and I've gone on from there just to actually do conduct a lot of training and real world operations all over the world with elite uh, special operations teams like protective details for heads of state in other countries. I um, mean, you know, I contracted in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, I hope you're okay. Sounds like you're an emergency. <laughs> they're, they're coming to get me. <laughs> uh, but um, yes, this is the, the, the perils of recording while you're on location. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> but uh, okay, so now that's the ambulance, right? <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm trying to find the mute button. <laughs> That's funny. They're, they're gone. <laughs> hey, like you said, it's organic. Absolutely. But, uh, anyway, long story short, I've traveled the globe providing <clears throat> protection for uh, high value assets for the U.S. government, as well as consulting in, in numerous countries, uh, Africa and then Latin America, both in Mexico and, and Brazil is our biggest client for tactical training right now. But, uh, you know, that's a lot of background uh, or experience, I, I would say, in um, in a law enforcement slash international security uh, aspect, right? But yeah, it's our nature to to want to solve problems, uh, you know, with people that are in that industry. And the one thing I couldn't wrap my head around was how can we not how can we not get a handle on this active shooter thing? You know, um, and, and the, let me let me qualify that for a second here. If you look statistically speaking, and I love historical data when it comes to this subject, you know, um, Columbine was probably the one active shooter mass shooting incident that a lot of people kind of recognize as the first big one that they're aware of. And that's fine. Let's just leave it like that. Mm -hmm. So it's 20 years ago. And I, I know that that when they say the response time of law enforcement was 45 minutes, that's not fair. Um, it was literally two <clears throat> minutes, but um, there were different policies in place. There were different procedures in place for law enforcement. The law, law enforcement response there, those guys went in and rescued kids. Some of those officers engaged uh, immediately with the suspects. But what we had, what, what was the protocol back then was that they would do all they could to rescue who they could set a perimeter, call in SWAT, and SWAT would come in and actually physically 
locate the bad guys and engage them, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So, so yes, in, in the sense of how long did it take the specialized unit to get on top of the guys, it was 45 minutes. So now today, these kids are coming out of the police academy trained to respond to an active shooter immediately. So the response time in Utah, for example, is three minutes or less to an active shooter. So the police have evolved, but as, as civilians, we haven't. Yeah. We're, we, we need to protect ourselves to stay alive for three minutes. And that is what our focus is now. I, I've, I've just decided, look, you know, there, there's a protocol, run, hide, fight. The city of Houston came up with it years ago. And, and I think it's, it's a very good basic foundation to work off of. But, you know, in the corporate environment, what does that mean? What does that mean for me at my desk? You know, run, hide, fight. And later on in this podcast, you know, if we can, I'd like to break that down. But the one thing that is most important is if you have no alternative, if there's nowhere to go, you have to fight back. You physically have to attack this guy. And there's a way to do it. And, and a lot of stuff that's on YouTube and that's being put out there, like throwing things or hitting the guy with something, those things are absolutely wrong. Um, and there's a simpler way to disrupt the shooter. And remember, we're buying such a small amount of time. Yep. So anyway, that's where we're at. I've, I've taken all my experience and I said, how do we create a program for the, the over 95% of the population that is present during a mass shooting that is unarmed? They're not going to return fire. How do we create a program for them, whether they're a teacher or an employee? How do we teach them how to survive an active shooter? And so that's, that's, and, that's the evolution. Yeah, and that's and that's the that's the objective of today's episode is really is to provide a little bit of a deeper dive into the difference between an active and mass shooting. Um, you know what options employers have to save lives, and as as HR professionals, you know, look, I am an advocate of run, hide, fight, and I remember when I sat in on my very first active shooter training. It was delivered by St. Leo's University and. Uh, the gentleman <clears throat> that taught the training was a 25-year, you know, veteran of, of law enforcement, really nice guy. And, um, you know, it has even evolved since since I took that course. And But what it got me into the mindset was, is that, and I love how you say it in your book. He's got a book. It's called Victims No More, Fighting Back Against an Active Shooter. It's a fantastic book. But the whole goal of this is the reason why we put active shooter training in place is so that way it's adjusting the mindset so you have fewer, if no, employees that believe that they are just another number or statistic that we're putting them in a position where one small action or a series of, of positive actions not only can save their life, but possibly somebody else's. Yeah, you you nailed it. it, it's, it I had a really interesting experience Um the, so I was on my way to Las Vegas to train a charter school down there, um, <clears throat> and I got a call from a uh, producer from Inside Edition, which is a you know nationally syndicated mm -hmm. news show, and um, they they said, hey, we would love to send a crew out to Vegas and meet you and do a story, and so they arranged it. You know, on the fly, they sent a crew out to Vegas. They met us there. And that, that evening when we did the training, 
they're, uh, they're filming it. And, and what you have to understand is we do our very, what we call level one at a school is training the teachers with a um, uh, presentation on the dynamics of an active shooter and some historical data and statistics to help them understand that things aren't as bad as they think, but then also how to survive, what the focus is, which you just talked about, which is worst case scenario, don't just huddle. Right. You know, let mama bear out. And so we had trained these teachers at, for an hour and then we went into the physical disarming. And this teacher, what we did is we sent one of our instructors through the door of the classroom with an AR-15. Um, it's the red gun, meaning the big plastic one. Mm-hmm. Um, she used our technique on him so fast because she was nervous and so violently that she literally crushed this six foot tall instructor and, and disarmed it. him. And when they showed it on uh, Inside Edition that night, I think the quote was, watch this teacher crush the assailant. And I mean, it was like there was no better testimonial. She had only learned it 30 minutes before. Wow. And so, you know, it was so empowering. And that's what she says in the interview. To know that there's an option in yes. the worst case yes. scenario, meaning I couldn't get away and I couldn't hide and he's coming through the door. To know that there was an option and that, you know, one thing that I, I talk about, and I think this is important, Brenda, is, you know, you have these, let's just talk about teachers for a minute. But even in the workplace environment, it's the same principle. We have these teachers that most of them are women. Most of them will be smaller than the assailant. And they're trying to wrap their head around what we're saying, which is at the very last moment, you're going to have to fight. And the way that we get them past that is we say, what would you allow that guy to do to your three-year-old child? And then the look in their eyes changes. And they're like, don't even bring my kid into the conversation. Mm-hmm. And what we've learned with the schools is, look, that's mama bear one-on-one, okay? That's something that you understand as a woman. But a teacher, she's not just a mama bear. She's a mama bear times 10 because she's also loving and, and protecting these children that aren't hers. And that lady, to me, is far more scary if you get her going than, you know, just an average person because she is fighting on behalf of so many children. And when they make that connection that they're protecting these kids and that their actions save these kids, they're, they're crazy. And I mean that in a good way. You do not want to be on the receiving end of what they're bringing. And so once you give them a technique and it's very simple, they leave and they're just so empowered, you know, it's awesome. So here's what I want. Uh, here's what I want the listeners. I got some call-outs here. <clears throat> if you just bear with me just for a minute, that I want to get everybody who's listening into the mindset on this. Because when I attended that class at St. Leo, I couldn't believe what I saw going on. I had, all of a sudden, the second that man introduced the concept of run, hide, fight, every HR professional in the room started shifting. And there was about 75 of us, except me. I was like one of the few. I was like, all right, this is awesome. It's about time, right? <laughs> <laughs> Because I've seen I've seen bad things happen to good people throughout my life, mm. just like most people have, and and that's mm-hmm. just a, that's just a fact of life, right there. Sure. But but I've also been of the mindset is that when you're fully prepared for bad things that happen in life, you're not gonna 
you won't be able to not feel the effect of it, but you certainly are going to mitigate some certain possibilities that could come out of it. So I had one person in the room raise their hand to the, to the instructor and he says, are you actually telling me that I need to teach my employees how to fight? And I'm thinking you have totally missed the whole, the whole mindset behind this. So basically teaching employees really how to possibly save a life and identify viable threats has absolutely nothing to do. And this is where it was all coming from hurting somebody's feelings and having some form of xenophobia and cultural indifferent indifferences. All right. So when an active shooter is active, it, all of that goes, it doesn't matter at this point, if you aren't putting it into your mindset as a practitioner or as a leader or into your people, that it's all about survival. And that's what these people were missing is it is that you're not going, you're going to have more catastrophic loss, unfortunately. And why fight? is because a shooter is vulnerable. I read this in your book. I get a, I got a gold star for this one. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Everybody is vulnerable in every place other than the direction that he's shooting. And people don't know that. And right. so it's all, all of this is, and I'm not going to spoil anything else, but I did give myself a gold star for that one. Thank you. But <laughs> the whole purpose is to change that mindset of HR pros and employers that the guy with the gun doesn't have that power. And you're not training your people had to fight. You're training your people how not to die. And it, it doesn't mean that you're giving up secrets to defending a shooter and, or you know, their power is persistent and unpredictable. It's the same approach to being unpredictable. And that's how you actually, you know, save lives. So I hope I didn't steal too much of your thunder. No. Away, but I wanted to frame this for people so that they understand why we're having this conversation. And, you know, even though active shooters are not common daily occurrence in the workforce, but it's one of those things that when it does happen, it's absolutely catastrophic. And if you're in that mindset of where you don't want to scare your employees by having this trainer, you don't want to put people on high alert. Look, you know what? Here's the thing. If you're not doing this, you're not preparing for something that is now more common in the workplace and growing. And you will absolutely never be able to sleep again. Promise you. Yeah, you you know I love I love where you're coming from, and and you're right on target. And um, you know I I want I want people to know something. Um, we don't leave after a two hour session. Let's just talk about teachers for a minute because mm-hmm. you know we look at them and we see them in a certain way, right? They're they're loving, they're compassionate, they're patient. They have all these really really great qualities, and you don't you know you don't think of them as running into gunfire or being, you know, that, that warrior mentality. Mm-hmm. But once again, as soon as the kids are in danger, they are, they are yeah. absolutely the best person to be fighting. They just don't know what to do. So as we educate them, you know, we see this shift and we just see the light bulb go on and they just realize I'm okay. And I, you know, it's the least likely of all scenarios, but as human beings, we also think of worst case scenario. So mm-hmm. once they've gone through our training, we see them empowered with knowledge uh, because they know that they're capable. And I, I had a really cool experience last week. We have a corporate client here that does about, well, they're, they're huge. I told you they do about 400 million a year. And uh, we went out there to their office and we did a presentation. It was very well received. And as we moved away from the um the, the first portion, which is the presentation on the dynamics of an active shooter and things you can do to survive and how run, hide, fight applies to you. 
when we get to the fight portion, we're teaching a technique so they actually understand what that means. So they don't get confused and throw something at the shooter. You know, right. uh, we're, we're talking about physical up close and personal ambush. Well, this is the first time in all the years I've been doing this that I had someone in the room in, doing the physical portion that was in a wheelchair. Mm. And he looked at me and he's like, dude, I, I, how am I going to ambush somebody? I mean, I, I feel so vulnerable. He's like, this is, this has actually made me feel worse. I have to count on all of these people to defend me or get me out of there. And I said, well, do you think, cause the technique that we teach, you would have to be standing up to start it. And I said, remember the shooter can only shoot one person at a time. If you were positioned in the room and he comes within arm's distance of you and he's focused on something else, do you not believe you can disarm him? And he's like, well, the way that you're teaching it, I, I don't think I could. And so we adjusted the simple technique for him mm -hmm. and his, his coworker that was with him, I said, you know, and again, we're using plastic training guns. I said, okay, I want you to come in, be close enough for him to reach you, but don't point at him, point at someone else and see what happens. And he used this technique and it worked so effectively. Um, and this guy got emotional and he's like, dude, for the first time in my life, I realize that I can be the guy helping someone. Yep. It, you know, yeah. it's a choice. That's all. Well, it, you know what? Here's the thing is that I don't think anybody, and if you're listening to the show, you're about ready to have an aha moment because honestly, I don't think people see active shooter as they see it as a solution to a problem, but what they don't see it as is an option to a hell state that is about ready to take place. And this guy now knows what his options are. I mean, he knows at least one, which gives him more power. And that's what this is all about. It's about empowerment in a completely different way. Yeah, absolutely. You're so right. You know, and it, it was, you know, let me share one more thing and then, then I'll kind of let you guide me in the conversation here. But, <laughs> you know, it, as we, as we are trying to get these teachers to buy in again, I, I use the teachers because the majority of them are female and they're going to be smaller in stature as we're trying to get them to buy in in the very beginning of the conversation. I tell them about it, an incident that I had where a reporter was talking to me. I happened to be present a couple hours after the mass shooting in Sutherland Springs at the Baptist church in Texas. And so I stayed all night and, and I was helping out the best I could in this, this Fox news reporter was talking to me in between interviews and she, she's a young reporter and she said, when does this end? When, when does this end? And I said, mass shootings will end when they're no longer productive. And yep. she just, she looked at me and she goes, what do you mean? And I said, look, remember, remember this day on September 11th, an airplane hit one of the twin towers. Yep. And then a few minutes later, 20 so on minutes later, a second airplane hit the next tower. And 40 minutes later, an airplane crashed into the Pentagon. But the fourth airplane, the people on that plane were made aware of what was going on. And they made a conscious choice. They were untrained and they were unarmed. And yet they defeated and killed trained terrorists. Even at the cost of their own lives, they crashed that plane into the ground. Yep. And... There have been numerous attempts to get in the cockpit on commercial airliners since 9-11. All of them have been defeated by, by regular people, untrained, unarmed men and women who have tackled these people in the aisles and kept them from, 
from disrupting the flight of the plane. We, as a nation, have made hijacking an airplane unproductive. It's not yep. happening anymore. It, and it, it's, it's something that happened in a matter of hours. It only yep. took a few hours, but because we all got on the same page in those few hours. And, it, and that was a horrible lesson for this country to learn. Absolutely. But it was a horrible lesson to learn. However, by the time that fourth plane was hijacked, the people on that plane said, you know what? It's not going to happen. Yep. It's not going to happen here. And, yep. and, and they set a precedent for us in, in the United States yeah. to... There, there were no air marshals on that plane. There haven't been air marshals on any of the planes where people have subdued someone trying to get in the cockpit. So I know we're capable of having that shift in paradigm and saying, all right, we are done being victims. I mean, look at the shooting that just happened uh, at the Baptist church in, in Texas a month ago. That's the, I, I did a news interview after that, that shooting and they asked me what was different about this. And I said, the difference here is this is the first mass shooting I've seen captured on camera or attempted mass shooting captured on camera where there were civilians that fought back, meaning there was a couple mm -hmm. armed people. They shot the guy and advanced on him. I've yeah. never seen video of civilians advancing on a shooter to terminate the threat before the police get there. Yep. There is a shift. People are saying, wait a minute, I need to be responsible for my own safety at least for, for, you know, that window of time that the police aren't able to get there. Because it's, even three minutes is an incredible response time, but that's still three minutes. Absolutely. So anyway, Absolutely. It's, been, it's exciting to see that we are shifting. But now people, what's happening with us, we're becoming busy because people are saying, okay, I'm starting to see maybe I need to accept that I might have to protect myself. How do we do it? That's the question. Right. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's still this element of fear that people have. And and I don't know what the answer is to this. And I think it's going to be I, I think that's going to be a, an open question for a while <clears throat> because our culture as a whole, as a nation. I mean, first off, you know, the East Coast culture of the U.S. is very different than the West Coast culture of the of the U.S. And, you know, the, it's a distinction between direct and indirect culture is what it's called. And so, you know, when you look at, when you look at some of the, first off, I don't think people really truly understand that in the last decade alone, I went through and I did the research on it. In the last decade alone, we have had 10 active shooters in the U.S. It's Oklahoma in 2019, San Bernardino in 2015, Virginia Beach just happened last year, El Paso happened last year. Yeah. Uh, T&E Trucking, they happened in 2018. Harry Pratt was 2019, uh, Florida Awning was 2017, Trust Bank 2019, and Capital Gazette was 2018. Out of that list of 10, there's one, two, three, four, five active shooter scenarios. Oops, sorry, one more. Hartford uh, was 2010. That, five. Half of them happened just last year. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, when is it okay to say something? Well, I think people need to understand that the sooner you say something, the faster a potential threat is possible, is investigated, identified, and neutralized, if it even exists. And there's nothing wrong with stepping forward and say, hey, listen, I think something has happened. And, and I'll give you an example of this. 
the so I was not far away from the courthouse in Virginia Beach when all this went down, and and it was an absolute flurry on being out on the road where I was. The net once I learned what had happened, the very next day I'm driving along, and you know, I, look, one of my favorite things to do is to go down to the range and shoot static targets. I enjoy doing that. So I understand, you know, how to properly handle a weapon. You know, I've gone through, you know, carry concealment training. I, I'm a responsible weapon owner is what I am. And as I'm driving to go get coffee at McDonald's on my way to something I was going to, I don't even remember what it was, there's a gentleman walking down the street, and whatever was in his hand was the exact same shape. And it was he was holding it really weird, but he had his eye on somebody that was walking into a building. And... It was very bizarre and how he was carrying it, but it was the exact same shape as the barrel of a Glock 17. And I thought, you know what? Look, error on the side of caution. Just call it in. Have yeah. somebody check it out. That, that's all it was. And, and, and PD called me back and they said, hey, you know what? That was a really great call because when we pulled up, we saw what, we, what you had described. When you got closer to him, it was actually some form of a, a power hand tool, but you couldn't see the cord. He says, it did look like a, a Glock. He said, but honestly, when you got closer to it, you could you recognized that it didn't have sights. It didn't, you know, it, it, the, the, the handle looked a little, it wasn't the same. And, and he said, but you know what, under the circumstances, Brent, he says, you did the right thing. Because all it is is just answering the question. Yes, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, we do have this discussion in all of our presentations because I think people feel like they don't want to bother the police if they're not sure. And uh, having, you know, spent a lot of years as a cop and, and still, you know, my now now one of my daughters is a cop here in Utah. And um, I tell people all the time, that's our job. Mm -hmm. We want to respond to that yeah. and make sure, nope, it's not. Or if it was. What did you just do? You just prevented, you know, a, a tragedy. Somebody, somebody is going to be okay today, and they don't even know that they might have been the the victim because you did call. If if it, if it were something, and if it's not, it's not a big deal. It's it's what police officers get paid to do. They get paid yeah. to respond to those things, and they're trained for it now. So I couldn't uh, I couldn't agree with you more. We need to do that now. Let me let me share something about the the corporate setting that I really enjoy. When we talk to corporations about this, one of the things that we talk about is their culture. Is your culture a safe place? Because they're, statistically speaking, women are more likely to be murdered at work than they are to have a, a fatal accident at work. Uh, that's the that's statistic, you know, on domestic violence. And so when, let's just say, you know, Jane has a great work culture and the team that she's with, she's able to say, you know, Joe and I separated recently and he just went crazy. And, um, I, I think he's going to be violent. You know, he's a gun guy. And he said, if no one can have me, you know, or if he can't have me, no one can. And so right. I, I filed a report with the police. I got a restraining order, but he does know where I work. If she was comfortable sharing that at work because the culture was so good at work that, that she knew it was a safe haven instead of her being ashamed or embarrassed of her situation, then it falls on on that the, the, the corporate entity, for example, for, for someone to say, hey, 
we, we take this to the, you know, whatever it is, to, you know, to a supervisor. And then all of a sudden what's happening is they're saying, hey, we're all on the lookout. You know, if Joe comes up in, in this red Chevy, we want to know about it. We're probably going to go into a soft lockdown. We're going to call the police, so forth and so on. And so that workplace becomes an actual safe haven where there are hundreds of eyes helping right. her. And when she's there, she's not looking over her shoulder and dreading it. And as I presented this recently to this client that I was telling you about, they had had an incident that I didn't know about. And um, they talked about how they they actually were assigned to meet her in the parking lot when she came in, escort her from her vehicle into the building, and then someone would walk her out and make sure she got out of the parking lot okay. They were paying attention. They made this gal feel like, Man, if there was one place she was safe, it was there. And yeah. then one of the things that uh, one one of the her coworkers observed, he said, "You know, we um, we called because we saw a truck in the area, <laughs> and it wasn't the right truck." And he said the police response was awesome because they're like, "Okay, it wasn't the right truck, but we're glad you called because they what happens just so people know." Uh, going back to what you said a few minutes ago about if you see something, say something. What happens for, for law enforcement is they go back and they – so swing shift will leave leave notes in a briefing book for graveyard. And the graveyard guys will do the same for day shift guys. So as our shifts change throughout the day for law enforcement, you'll see a note in there. And it will say there was an incident at – Fight Back Nation's headquarters, and uh, there's a gal named Jane who filed a protective order and believed her husband, you know, may do something violent. This is where she works. Keep an eye out for a red Chevy truck and the description of the guy. So even if it's not an official report, what's happening is it's still going in the briefing book, and officers are more aware and they're hyper vigilant. So right, we need each other. Let me just say that. Yeah. We need each other. And the more open we are about our preparedness, the less anxious we'll feel. Right it, now, people are yes. walking around believing they're the only one if something happens. Yes. And, you know, the thing is, is that there are there are business owners, business leaders, managers that don't invest in this mindset. They have this, ah, it's never going to happen. Ah, they're overreacting. And I hear it all the time. But, you know, when you actually look at the different types of reasons why people do what they do when it comes to workplace violence, it really boils down to it boils down to a couple of them. And I'd love for you to expand on it, but I want to illustrate. So Oklahoma 2019, we actually did an episode of it with uh, U.S. Navy SEAL Joey Hahn uh, immediately after it happened. That was, as you classified it, a work revenge scenario. And the same mm. thing with what had taken place here in Virginia Beach. It was some sort of vengeance that was taken out in the workplace. However, when you look at a situation like San Bernardino, which took place in 2015, that was sheer terror. That there, yes. was, there was no work vengeance. So it's not always work vengeance. There's other reasons that, that come of it. Every single one of these situations, every single one could have been prevented. San Bernardino specifically, I want to target, because the neighbors had identified odd uncharacteristic behavior that was going on they knew about it but they were afraid to say something because they didn't want to be um labeled as anti-semitic yes 
Yes. And look what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know what? That's a really good point. Um, let's let's break this down for just a second. As we when we do these presentations, we break down um, these shootings and classifications. So while we're here, let's just explain. There's a there is a difference between a mass shooting and an active shooter. Uh, a mass shooting is four or more people injured or shot during the incident. Um, you know, they, they used to say single location, but after what happened in El Paso and Midland, Texas, I mean, that was still classified as a mass shooting because the guy went on a rampage, you know, on the road and was literally shooting people from his car. And eventually yeah. he took the mail truck, if you remember. Yes. And, and so, but still, bottom line is same incident for four or more people shot or injured. That 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 is a mass shooting. Now, an active shooter... Uh, you know, there's a couple things that are required um, ability, which would be having possession of the firearm and intent, meaning he actually is pointing the gun at someone or shooting them. Uh, but a lot of times with workplace violence, it's a, a targeted person. So it could be domestic that bleeds over to work or it could be revenge like you talked about. Um, then aside from that, you have classification of school shooting where they're trying to get a number. It's all about the body count. Or, coming back to San Bernardino, a terrorist mass shooting, where the number of bodies is also the goal, the bigger, you know, the higher body count. The difference here is that what we see typically in school shootings is they end in one of two ways. The, the, the bad guy gives up or kills themselves. With the terrorist-related shootings, these guys will fight it out with the police. Uh, you know, yep. look look at uh, Orlando, you know, at the Pulse nightclub. Yeah, yep. that was that's a terrorist attack and, and that drug on forever because he engaged the police, you know, in the building. So those some classific those are some classifications of you know of the shootings. Um, but as they relate to, you know, to the workplace, I, I think you're absolutely right. There are typically, almost in every case, there are signs. And um, I think we just all need to say, hey, it's okay for me to voice what I saw and not worry about being judged. You know, we are worried about, you know, being oh, politically yeah. correct or not offending somebody. But, you know, matter, matter of fact, let me illustrate an example for your listeners. Think about this, because I know we all love our kids, right? And even if you don't have kids, you're, if you're a good human being, you would still protect the child. And, Completely. you know, I think of this place that we have here where I live, this beautiful canyon. It's called Provo Canyon. And they have a massive waterfall there that's world famous. And there's a jogging path on one side and then this river on the other. And so in the springtime, the river is raging because of the snowmelt. And it's beautiful. People come out, they've had cabin fever, and there's families up there. And, you know, if you're up there and you see a mom and dad, and maybe they got three or four kids here in Utah, it might be five or six kids. And all of a sudden, one of their kids, you know, someone's not paying attention, and he starts to walk across that path towards the river. What do you do? You don't well, worry you about offending the parents. You run over and you grab the kid. Right. You're just like, hey, come here, you know? You're not going to be worrying that the fact that parents are like, hey, I'm not a bad parent. Why are you, you know, don't. You're just going to err on the side of caution. 
It's what Absolutely. we do. And Absolutely. I, why is this any different? Why is it any different? I don't know. I, well, it's just that it's that fear of judgments, that fear of being wrong. And we have to get past that. And, you know, yes. the thing is, is that, you know, when you share information. So what I, what a lot of people don't know is that part of your act. So if you as a, an organization were to put training in place, if you were to get guidance from somebody, the appropriate person of authority, because I love what you said earlier about YouTube, was that there's a lot of stuff that's out there that's wrong. Man, there are a lot of people out there who are way confident in their ability to defend themselves and they are going to get somebody hurt. <laughs> they're going to kill, yeah. they're going to get themselves killed. There's a lot of falseness that's out on YouTube and, and it's just amazing. Some of it, it's, it's hilarious, but then on the other hand, it's like if somebody, if somebody's watching this, they didn't know the difference and they're trying to, to replicate what they're doing, somebody's going to get hurt. And, but what people don't understand is part of, if you have an incident, right, or if you believe that somebody could be a, a potential concern, what you can do is you can actually work with the local and state PD and 100%. you can absolutely yeah. bring them in. Just, you know, you don't have to call 911, just call the non-emergency line, explain to them. It's like, hey, listen, we've got an employee concern. We would like to sit down with you, bring you guys to the table. Can you send somebody over in the next 30 minutes or an hour? We want to start profiling this person, not us. We want to provide you with information. And ultimately what will happen through that process, if it's local, They'll, they'll bring in somebody. They may even call somebody from state PD to come over. But what they'll do is they'll work in unison to actually profile your building. They will ask you for your evac so your, your physical map, right, your layout, where all your exits are and fire exits and all that good stuff. And they'll actually talk to you and they'll actually start to profile this employee. So then that information goes into a database. And, but it's not just the information about the person they've now spent time understanding the layout of your facility and they will have it as part of their emergency plan in the unlikely, God forbid, event that you should call 911 and say, I think we've got an active threat or we do have an active shooter situation. They now pull that data up and they're relaying that information to the Leos who are coming in, literally about ready to storm the door and can now effectively guide them and tell them exactly where things are. And I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about this. But that a lot of people don't know that that happens. Yeah. That you can do that. Yeah, I. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, like you were talking about earlier in our conversation, the dynamics of different communities—West Coast, East Coast, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you know, small community, large community. I. I was a cop in Vegas. I know how we operated there. I know how they operate here in Utah. I have a very good relationship with the agencies here, <laughs> and it's interesting. Um, so again, I'm going to come back to this client. I just I just picked up this week. Uh, if they and not if because they're doing it, they're doing exactly what you said. By the way, they're being mm -hmm. trained now on an active shooter protocol and plan for their facility and their employees. And as part of that, they're inviting the local PD to to have guys come and do a walkthrough. And and what they're finding out that they didn't realize is the local police department loves that. Yes. They love it. They want to oh come my gosh. in. They want to know it. You know, yes. it's incredible that, you know, because I think they, you know, people think, well, I don't want to bother the police. No, this is not bothering them at all. They really do feel like you do when you learn more. They feel empowered too, because they're like, hey, you know, if we had something at such and such location, uh, we did a walkthrough. Those guys are buttoned up. Like coming back to this, this client. 
I think, by the way, this is something else that, that we need to share with everybody. I want to tell everyone that's listening, you're probably way better prepared than you think you are. Yes. I just want you to know that. The sky is not falling down. This is a very rare occurrence, but it's good to be prepared. As I spoke with this company, I told them, I'm like, I can't believe how secure your building is. You guys have the ability to pull doors shut behind you and they're locked. We haven't had an active shooter breach a locked door yet. Mm. They move on. They know they have a three minute or less window. So it's very rare, especially when it's, it, you know, when it's a mass shooting scenario for body count, that they're going to stop and spend the time to shoot through a locked door and try and breach the lock. They yeah. just continue to move on. But that's, you know, that's other, you know, we can get into more detail about that. Now, I do want to share one thing, though, as, as we talk, because I think it's very relevant to your audience. Um, I had no idea as I presented to this company last week that the owner. So we did a morning presentation for some of the employees and an afternoon presentation. And I didn't know that the owner was sitting in the audience in the first presentation, uh, mainly because. It's a big company, and I, you know, when I think of the owner, I'm thinking of a guy that's, you know, 50 or older, and here's this young dude that's the owner sitting in there just blending in. But um, one thing that, that he really liked was as we were talking, I said, okay, let's talk about run, hide, fight for a minute. We're going to spend most of our time on the fight back portion, but what does run mean to you? For example, from your desk – if you heard gunfire, what is your primary route of escape? If that was blocked, what is your secondary route of escape? Right. If you could not run, if either route was blocked off or if the shooting was too close and you picked a place to hide, what would your best choice be? What would your second choice be based on whether you know it conceals you or it actually gives you cover to hide behind? Or maybe you could barricade. And then, you know, of course, the fight portion, how to fight back was something that we were going to address. And so as I spoke, I said, now I want you guys to know something. The company has done their due diligence. They've brought someone in. We're presenting protocols. We're presenting some, some help with the planning. But who really is responsible for your escape route? You. Each mm -hmm. and every one of you. Because... You're the only one sitting at your desk. You're the only one that needs to have an escape route from the lunchroom or whatever. Right. So write down your primary, secondary route. Write down your first choice for hide, your second choice for hide, and how you would barricade. And show it to your supervisor and say, I got, I've got my plan. Because it is still on you as an individual to be prepared. Even yeah. if the company brings a guy in to give you information it's not the job of the company to write each individual's escape plan. Right. So we have to, we have to be responsible for ourselves most of the time, if that makes sense. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It does. And you know, in, in this, in, in this class that I had attended, one of the things that they had started uh, talking about was setting the appropriate expectations. And you didn't get too deep into it, but as part of your active training program, you know, like put, um, you know, the company, every company should have an all clear code and write it and, you know, put it as a label and stick it under all of the fire extinguishers. So I kicked back with him on this and I said, if you're teaching your employees this, 
you're also teaching your potential shooter the exact same protocol. And I said, I don't agree with that. I agree with, you know, if, if you, this was just something that I agreed with at the time and you, yeah. you can tell me don't do that or not do that. But this is what I, one of the things that I keep in my back pocket is that, you know, you know, one thing that could potentially distract somebody, it creates another obstacle for you to get through is, you know, discharge a fire extinguisher on them. That will definitely, you know, shock them. But at the same time, you know, don't do it in, in the path of your exit. <laughs> that's bad. So it may not be the best approach, but, you know, is it an option? It, it might be. I mean, you, you, know, you never know because all the variables are going to be different. But one thing that you guys should know is that easily, if you are in a situation to where you guys are on lockdown or you have been successful at hiding and you, you haven't had to fight, but you're hiding, understand that it's going to take a good three to four hours for PD to come in and actually clear the building and get you out of that room. Right. That, that's, that's a really good point. So let, let's talk about two things. Number one, the distraction that you talked about. Right. We teach if you distract, it's followed immediately by an attack. Yes. So if you distract, it takes you only a second to go 10 feet and you can be what we call inside leverage. Um, again, that's if they, you know, if you put a link to our video um, that I sent you, they can see yes. that at the end of that video, that lady just learned that move that day. And at the end of that video, she executes it so quickly. Um, but anyway, bottom line is you, you, excuse me, you can distract and, um, you can follow up immediately with, you know, with that attack, because once you're disrupting his ability to shoot, you're saving lives and, and other people yes. will jump in, but let's, let's go, um, you know, beyond that, you're, you know, what you're talking about having that, that, um, plan or, or the, the protocol of mm -hmm. what you're going to do. Um, you there, so what, here's how the police operate. So we're coming into the building and you're, you're, by the way, you're absolutely dead on. Okay, you're com we're coming into the building. Um, if the shooter retreated into a room, let's say the shooter retreated into the bathroom. Well, it's gone from a active shooter to a barricade and it changes how the police respond. And so they're locking it down and the response is a little bit different. Um, so they're going to clear the building methodically and they're going to go to the rooms that they identify that have an injured person in them first. So if you are barricaded in a room and everyone's fine in there, they're probably not going to come in there for a while. And so that is one thing that we tell people always have, you know, some bottles of water, a first aid kit, phone chargers, things like that in a room that you think you might run to. If Especially if you're in an open, uh, kind of an open layout, you know, like a lot of our tech clients, they're open layout. So those employees, if they heard gunfire, they're going to move away from that open layout into a room where they can secure the door and barricade and lock it and wait. Uh, that's if they couldn't escape the building. So we're just saying, hey, in those rooms, you know, ahead of time, just know that you may be there for hours. So you should have, you know, food, water, chargers, even a five gallon bucket to use, and you know, as a bathroom. So mm -hmm. that's a really good point, though. You're absolutely right. It can take, it can take a few hours. So when, when PD does clear a building, how, how, and everybody who's sheltering in place at this point, how do they know it's PD knocking at the door? Because paranoia is going to be high. 
Yeah, it's you know we get that question a lot, and um, a lot of people think that the bad guy is going to be knocking at the door saying he's PD. Uh, again, I'm just going to come back to this. If you know, we're all really smart people. We're pretty good at reading others. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're beyond the five minute mark, the chances of someone coming and knocking and saying, "Hey, it's you know so and so," or maybe they don't even say their name, they just knock and they say. Uh, you know, North Las Vegas police, you know, we're here, stay, stay, stay where you're at. That's -hmm. what they're going to tell you. You're not going to tell you to get out. Uh, not in the first few minutes. They're just going to tell you to stay where you're at. They may ask through the door. Do you have any injured? You're, you're going to realize that this is a legit guy, but just remember after five minutes, the likelihood that, that this guy is walking around trying to get people to open the door for him is slim to none. He's either engaging police or or hiding from the police. Mm -hmm. So as time goes on, the more likely that it's a cop, a real cop, you know, it is. I'm just telling you, it's very likely it is a real cop. And you can ask things like, uh, we teach people, ask them their P number. Um, And I, I don't know, I think even on the East Coast, everyone has a P number. That's their personal ID number. Mm. A cop won't hesitate. If you say, what's your P number? You know, they'll say, Hey, my name is Dave Acosta, P number 839. Okay. You know, there, there was no hesitation there. I know my P number. Yeah. Um, that's kind of cool. As a matter of fact, I had a guy just did a presentation the other day. He walked up to me and he just looked me in the eyes after the presentation. He said, 1335. <laughs> and I, I looked at him and I'm like, excuse me? And he goes, 1335. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure what that means. He goes, that's my P number at Metro. He goes, I retired before you before you put the badge on. Anyway, funny guy. But we all know our P numbers. And right. so if a civilian were to ask that or badge number, there shouldn't be a lot of hesitation on the, nope. on the other side of the door. So, yep. and you it. know what? Bottom line, look, if you're not sure, don't open it. If Call 911 sure, and ask, ask him who's at the door. Absolutely. They'll tell you. Don't open it. Yeah, dispatch will tell you if they're really there or not. Because yeah. they can have that two-way communication. Easily, easily. Yeah. But I do think that people will know pretty quickly. Like I said, you know, after the first few minutes, it's going to be a cop. Oh, yeah. Because they're going to flood that building. And and most likely, just so, just so everyone understands, most likely what is going to happen is, so the first few officers are going to the threat. They're trying to terminate the threat. They're, they're going to put this guy down. Officers after the fact are going to be going door to door and they're going to be checking on you. Is there anyone in here? You know, North Las Vegas police, Dave Acosta, whatever. I might say my name. I don't know what they're going to say because they might have different protocols, but they're asking. They're not they're not going to evacuate you right away as much as they might say, you know, if you're like, yeah, we're in here and they're saying, "Okay, is there any injured people in there? That's their priority. Their second priority after the shooter is finding where we have people that may be bleeding right. to death. Right. And so you'll see some se- sequences of events, even if you're hiding, that will make sense to you. Yep. Absolutely. So I can tell you folks, and I wanted to share this from personal experience. So after this class, I had an incident. You, you guys have heard me. If you've been listening to the show, you, you've heard me talk about this. And um, one of the things that had happened is that we had a, an employee that we thought could be a potential Uh, progression into an active shooter and um, once we had taken care of the employee situation 
I went into my, yes, what we need to do is we need to work with PD, we need to work with the federal government because we were on federal property at that time. We need to profile, we need to make sure that we have our action plans in place. And I tell you what, the leadership said, no, we're not going to do that. And I'll tell you what, I didn't sleep well. What, what year is it? I still to this day don't sleep well, thinking it's like, oh my gosh, boy, did we miss an opportunity. And I wound up adopting some of my own um, my own practices in everywhere I go. And so I, this is what I'm going to teach you guys. And Dave, if there's anything that you want to add, I've got three things that just taking these three things will not only save, will adjust your mindset and save yourself, but it will also positively impact the outcome of what could be happening to anybody around you, be it a, an employee, be a customer or a client. You could just be out in, out in the, in the regular environment. And the first thing is, is that if you find yourself in an active shooter scenario and you are in a run and hide situation, the very first thing you should be doing is turning the ringer off on your phone. Because if you're hiding, that phone call coming in is going to give way to anybody who is walking down these corridors. And if they hear a phone ringing, because once, once it gets out, people are going to start calling your phone like, oh, my God, Sally's at work. And i got to see if she's okay. And if they hear that, now they know that somebody's sheltering in place. The other thing is, is that, and I'm, and I'm going to put some of these things in the show notes, including your links, too. I started carrying around a tactical flashlight. And this is one that has a very, very high level of lumens, but it also has these prongs in the front of it. So if I'm in a situation where I'm in a, 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 a close situation I have to fend for my life, now I got something hard that I can actually hit somebody with and just knock them, just knock them off balance enough that I might be able to get away. And then lastly is know where you can get out. And we talked about this is know your escape routes. If you, if you program your brain for these three things and then other things that Dave is going to call out as well, your chances of survival have just increased significantly. Yeah, I, I like... I like all of that. And um, the bottom line is, you know, again, I, I want to say prepared, not paranoid. We, right. we don't want anyone to just, you know, feel this heavy burden of worst case scenario is going to happen. We want you to know, number one, the chances of this happening are very unlikely. And even if you're present during a mass shooting, the chances of you being, you know, target at the end of, of, of the barrel <laughs> are very, very small, but right. it is smart for us to say, okay, great, but in a worst case scenario, am I prepared? And that's, you know, where I would come back to just know right now at your place of work, what are your your primary and secondary escape routes? Not just from your desk, but um, what if it, where you work, there's a lunchroom and, um, you know, you, you know that you're there often. That's another place to know what are your quickest routes of escape. And then um, have an idea what, what you would hide behind or where you could hide. And um, also, what does it mean to barricade for you? I mean, it's different for everybody. You may not mm -hmm. have to barricade, just FYI. If you've got a door that you can shut behind you that actually physically locks, that's pretty good. Um, and then, you know, lastly, just, just be prepared to know that you're going to, to defend yourself. You need to put yourself in a position of advantage, meaning, you know, every person that comes into a room has to come past a 90-degree angle. And so you put yourself in the best position to do a surprise counterattack 
and, and disrupt their ability to, to shoot effectively. And you'll be fine. And, and again, you know, we, this is something you can go on our Instagram. Um, it's at Fight Back Nation. And there's a lot of video that we've recorded in our Instagram where teachers are disarming our instructors at full speed. And you can mm-hmm. kind of see the effectiveness of, of this as well as, you know, you can go onto our website, fightbacknation.org, and there's a media page and there's some video. Um, like, I think the story from Inside Editions there, and you can see, uh, you know, this, this teacher use the technique and kind of gives you an idea how it works. But bottom line is, guys, we are not going to be victims. We're not going to just huddle and beg and pray that the guy doesn't shoot us. Right. He comes through that door as a last resort, you're going to own him. Just remember, yep. it's not about you. You're fighting for the people you care about. And when we fight on behalf of someone we love, man, we're unstoppable. We really yep. are. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming in. I really are coming in, calling in, <laughs> coming in, calling in. It's, it's like you're here right with me. No, I That's really funny. appreciate it. This is fantastic. So wonderful. Any, yeah, anything I, else? No, I really appreciate it. We, we would love for you to, 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 to get the book or, or, you know, what we've had recently here in Utah is the book just is now hitting the shelves. You know, it's on Amazon. People are buying a book for themselves and a book for their school oh, district yeah. and handing it book to administrators. Awesome. Uh, literally five minutes before you and I got on the phone, I got a call from, uh, from the Park City School District here in Utah. And, and they were asking about the program because uh, their neighboring school district has adopted the program. And so um, the word is out, but um, the best thing that we can do, again, there's good information in the book. I hope you enjoyed it. We would just oh, encourage people it. to go on Amazon and, and grab a copy for themselves. And then if they, if they like what they saw, you know, leave a good review so that, so that we can get the message out. We do not have to be victims anymore. No. It's time for us to stand up and protect ourselves physically. Yeah, no, the book is absolutely excellent. It gives it gives a lot of specific information. It's not general. Um, it, it just you did an awesome job on it. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Alrighty, my friend. Well, thank you so much, and uh, you have an awesome time. Okay, thanks. I appreciate it. The next HR coaching program event, registration is now open. I wasn't sure I was going to get all of that out, so I took my time. If you've been considering joining the program, the time is now, especially since I've added more to the program. When you get to join, you'll actually be able to receive a couple of really awesome things. First off, you're going to be able to access the recorded HR planning sessions that have taken place in the past. Um, and the Q3 HR planning session that was held on July 2nd in in the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group. Um, You'll also get attendance to the monthly HR roundtable, which is the big event, and previously recorded sessions. You'll have access to the course Selling HR to Your Boss and How to Increase Your Yes Factor by 10x for free. And then also you'll get a free copy or an access of my audio book releasing in July, which is called 17 Winning Tactics for Your HR Career. Get it off the ground and steer it to the future. Lastly, you'll also get free access to the member resource site. 
So the coaching program is really helping the community of dedicated HR pros find ways to move forward through their challenges. And one of the participants in the coaching program shared this about the most recent planning event. She said, my big takeaway was the HR planning worksheet and just the time spent with HR professionals who live in the same headspace that I'm living in. No matter how much is on your plate or how much you are, you're dealing with, you are not alone. So if you haven't caught that in the past, this week's episode is is definitely to watch for. I'm a co-host with the evil HR lady, Suzanne Lucas, on a live weekly YouTube program that is called The Real HR Show. And this past week, we were talking about PTO and how to help employers prevent the burnout. So that's actually a really fun show. We come out every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we have a different conversation. We, and we again, bring the what you need to do and, and how to do it. Plus, you know, we do a little bit more extra in the narrative for the, for the hour. So you guys know that I love questions. You know I love answering HR questions. And you can submit your, your question on the bestpractices.work website by clicking on the podcast link from the menu. And down towards the bottom of the podcast page is a submission form for you can go ahead and post your question, which I may read and answer on an upcoming episode. So this week's question is, how do you handle an employee who is clearly planning to leave? Well, there's a couple of different ways that you can handle it. And I guess it's all depending upon the individual themselves. So first off, if this is a problematic employee, um, you know, it's going to be one of two things. Either they're on their way out voluntarily or they're on their way out involuntarily. And I think um, it's just going to be a matter of time. So, you know, you never want to, you never want to treat any employee differently than you would treat anyone else. Uh, the more consistent you are, the better the outcome is in general across the board. And that also includes those employees that are clearly planning on leaving. But if you know of somebody who is going to leave and, and they've got that, man, that deep level of institutional knowledge, they're one deep in something, and you know that they when they leave, that's going to be problematic. When you get that feeling, my best recommendation is start doing the cross-training now. Start thinking about who is the individual that can step in and do that person's job or, or segments of it or elements of it because if you don't get ahead of that you're going to be behind it and and quite frankly you don't just won't be behind it you'll be completely under it because it'll run you over so you're better off trying to trying to really kind of plan ahead looking at the future capabilities does even a lot of the stuff that they did is it even necessary to do anymore i mean with the whole, you know, changing of the work from home environment, a lot of businesses actually found that they could reduce the number of steps in some of their processes because of the nature of the environment now, or they discovered that there were too many layers of approval. So, I mean, you have a lot of different options. And, and my recommendation would be is that if you know somebody's preparing to leave, you know what, life is going to go on when they leave, no matter what. Maybe it, it'll maybe be a headache for a little while, or an inconvenience, but you know, there's always somebody, none of us are, none of us are irreplaceable <laughs> in the workplace. So that is very much, very much the fact. So I would definitely start figuring out how are you going to fill that gap? That would be your best bet. So the next women in HR community. So we, this is such a great place. I am so glad that this was something that I worked on and we're continuing to have these really these real conversations in real time with real people 
they're new, they're exciting, they're fresh questions. We're, we're growing rapidly, and I mean rapidly. It's an awesome group of women and men, and you know what? It just, it, it'd be great to have you there with us. Um, you know, people are watching and they're learning, and, you know, it's, a, it's awesome to see. We've got people that have been with the group 25 weeks, 20 weeks, 17 weeks, and you just see their constant growth and their level of engagement continuing to go up, and, it, and it's just fabulous. I absolutely love it. And that's really what we need right now is we need the support, but most importantly, we need to stop absorbing and start talking. So we're, we're well over 160 members now. And uh, you know what? I invite you to come in and jump in and join the conversation. And if you didn't catch that before, it's the Next Gen Women in HR community over in Facebook. So if you'd like to follow me and see what is going on and connect, you, there's a number of different ways you can do that. If you're on Instagram and Facebook, you can find me over at the Best Practices in HR page where I give kind of general updates as to what's going on. Over on Instagram is where you can find me where I share a little bit more about what I'm up to. And that handle is Brenda the HR Lady. If you'd like to connect with me professionally, you can find me on LinkedIn and you can just search for me by my name, Brenda Neckbottle, and the last name is spelled N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke. V is in Victor, A-T-A-L. And on YouTube, like I mentioned earlier, I had the other show, but I've been building a library of videos that you can find me again using my name. And I also co-host that show I mentioned earlier, I'm going to mention again, called The Real HR Show with the evil HR lady herself, Suzanne Lucas. And then lastly, you can jump on the website at bestpractices.work where you can read up on the new updates I called out earlier in today's episode. Uh, and this is actually something new that I decided to add. And you can just simply visit bestpractices.work and click on the podcast link and then you'll be able to see the next week's articles. But before I forget, because I will if I don't say it now, I mentioned earlier in the second segment that Dave and I are working on some stuff. So when you go to the bestpractices.work website on the homepage, on August 4th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we are hosting a very informative uh, breakdown of active shooters and what employers can do. And basically our mission is how do we de-escalate the fear and we help elevate the confidence in your culture so that way you as an organization can train and help prepare and protect your employees for Let's hope it is a non-event for you guys. But you know what? With everything that's going on with the civil unrest and active shooters, you just don't know. Because honestly, like Dave said before, active shooting will not stop unless it is no longer productive. So <clears throat> it's here for a while. We're seeing it ramp up even more. And you know what? Even though it may not happen in your, in your place of work, don't be the company where it does. We, we would hate to see that happen. So... You can find this link if you go to the bestpractices.org website. Again, it's on the main page. Scroll down just in the first third of the, of the web page. You'll see the link. You'll see Dave and I, our picture. And with all the information, go ahead and pop it in. There's also going to be a free checklist that's going to be delivered to you, or excuse me, excuse me, an agenda that will be delivered with you with some highlights and ideas around it on what you can go ahead and put into place. But we're here to help you guys figure these problems out. So we would love to have you. We'd love to talk to you. Please register. Do it. We only have so many spots. And uh, we want to have you, definitely have you online uh, with us. You, this is a great place where you can answer your questions, too. You can, you know, talk to us either, you know, during the session or talk to us afterwards. 
and we'd be more than happy to answer your questions for you. Okay, so again, visit the website if you want to find out more about what's going on and have my best practices delivered to your inbox, not to mention, as I almost forgot this too, um, all of the articles that I get on a regular basis, and I usually get about 100 a week, uh, different types of content and things. I put all of those over in the member resource page. That page is a great place to go. It's got a lot of tools, videos, things that you can download, things that you can use, all of these amazing articles, and it is available for you for less than three cups of coffee a week, $9 a month. That's all it costs for something like that because I want to make sure that the information is accessible and available to you guys. So go ahead and check that out. You can find that on the bestpractices.org website. Uh, by clicking Next Gen Women in HR up at the top, and that'll take you over to the uh, the main page and then the information page where you can go ahead and check that out. But while you're over there, definitely click connect at the top of the page and get my best practices delivered directly to your inbox by signing up for the mailing list. All sorts of good stuff coming out on a monthly basis. So that is it. I have overcome my short-term memory on all the things that I wanted to say. And uh, guys, I hope you had a, a wonderful 4th of July. I hope you had a safe 4th of July um, where the summer is, feels like it's just beginning, although we're already through the middle of it and uh, can't wait to see what is going to come down the pike next. So buckle up, guys, because uh, the world is constantly changing right now. So look, be safe, uh, get out there, have an awesome day, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>